The reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3, and it's verses 1 to 10, and that's on page 1174 of the Church Bibles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working out of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I just had a little bird whisper in my ear that Mark Sinclair had arrived. Is that right? Are you are Mark Sinclair here? They are. Come and join me at the front. We'll do the interview now, and we'll preach in a minute. So Mark Sinclair are here. Welcome. I don't know whether you've had all sorts of things going on this morning or whether this is Argentina time. All sorts of things going on. Let's give them a big round of applause, and we'll... If you're listening, on the, you can leave the, the thing running because this interview will be worth listening to, at least as much as me preaching. Uh, Marcus and Claire, we're just going to do a very brief overview. We had lots of detail last Sunday lunch. But Claire, first of all, you were at this church around the time I arrived 18 years ago. Just tell us what you were doing. Yes, um, I came to, uh, in the year 2000 as a care force worker. I was based at Christian Alliance Housing Association in Leamington, working with young people Uh, homeless young people in Leamington. And you did that for two years? Yes. And you went off to London Bible College, now London School of Theology. Is that right? Yeah. Where you met this young man. Yep, kind of via Africa. Via um, Africa, but this is the big big picture. We're not doing a sort of (laughs) week-by-week account. Um, So, yeah, um, I arrived back from Africa two days, and I met Marcos at London Bible College, where we did our Master's in um, Biblical Interpretation. So, Marcos, tell us where you grew up. I grew up um, in, in, in Argentina in a place called uh, Entre Rios. Well, I don't know if anyone knows about it. Andrew Rolls knows all about that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, I had open doors to come to a Bible school in England. I never, ever thought that would ever happen. And uh, yeah, it did happen. And, uh, and you got I, more than you bargained for. Yeah, I actually, I go, I go many friends, I, I, go to, I go to love this country, really, I go to love this country, and we pray uh, also for you and for this church, um, uh, 
regularly. As we do for you. So you, the Lord drew you together and led you to Concordia in Argentina, which on a map looks near to Buenos Aires, but it's yeah. not uh, that like near. 300 miles. <laughs> Argentina's north. a big place. So, yeah, so sort is. of six hours from Buenos Aires. Yes. And your father was involved in a mission really around the slums of Concordia. Yes, uh, a mission amongst the poor with an orphanage and um, church, church plant amongst very poor people. But it was another place where it was no church there, so we had to do something. So God, you called you together, you're there in Concordia, and you have a heart for planting a church in the city. Can you tell us a bit about that, Claire? Yeah, um, yeah as you said, um, the ch the, our mission had traditionally always worked among, in the slum communities, amongst the very, very poor. Um, but in Argentina, there's another sector of society um, which don't know the gospel. In the centre of the city, there are people who, educated people, middle-class people, um, not rich, but educated, and it's, it's a different class of people, and in, it was a real spiritual desert, and, and I particularly noted that, coming, come um, spending a lot of time working in the slums, but then spending a lot of time in the centre, learning Spanish and, and mixing with people, really realised that people didn't know the gospel at all, and there was just such a need to reach out to those people, and we started to evangelise, and then before we knew it, we had formed a church, people became Christians, and we were discipling them, and that that was about so, 12 years ago. That was just brilliant. But now, we're not going to tell the story of the 12 years, but the wonderful, wonderful thing we celebrate is that there is a church in the centre of Concordia that is honouring the Lord and the Scriptures. It's, there are obviously lots of churches in Argentina. There's Catholic churches and a lot of folk yes. religion attached to those. Yes, but um, where we are, majority are nominal Catholics. Yes. They don't remember when was the last time they went to church. <laughs> um, and there are people hard to reach because they are secularized, they don't see religion as part of their lives. Uh, they think they know already everything about God. And um, uh, yes, it's, I mean, to work in the center is like working in, in Europe. It's like working in Italy or Spain. Um, so it's, it's hard going, but yeah. by God's grace, there is a church. So 12 years, yes. and there's a church of now, as we were talking, sort of 50 to 100 people, depending on how many turn up. Yes. And quite a lot of young people, young adults. Can you tell us a bit about those, Claire? Yep. Um, yeah, our church has attracted a lot of young people, which always calls the attention of lots of people around. So, you know, young people don't want to go to church. And yet our church is full of a lot of young people, uh, especially in their 20s. Um, lots of our young people come on their own. I, I can't think possibly there's one or two who come with their families, but our church is quite a different place. Um, but the young people um, come, often receive a lot of opposition from their families to be there, which makes their faith even just more authentic and real, really. Um, they, they come to church. Everything they learn at church, they say, we go home and we hear the opposite message. It's the opposite. Um, so the church has become... It's not just a Sunday service for them. It's become their lives, and they've really become part of our family, spend a lot of time also at our home, um, and become spiritual children because they've just had, their needs are so great. And we've seen so many of them finish school. Um, now they're in university, and they're just part of our extended family. Um, but it's just been wonderful how they've been so drawn, drawn to the church. Uh, new Christians who understand being a Christian is about sharing your faith, not keeping it to yourselves. So 
they're, they're fantastic evangelists who, who inspire you uh, immensely, um, but and, difficult. And you said what's really different from our culture, though, is that these educated middle classes are still quite poor. Yes. Run. So two parallel ministries going on with the church. Marcus, you have a TV program. I find this extraordinary, but tell me if I've got this right. Every day, Monday to Friday, yeah. next to the midday news, there is yes. a five-minute section of you yes. teaching on the television. Something. Just yes. tell, is that right? Well, the, the aim of the program is um, <laughs> uh, I, I want people to understand that the Bible is relevant for everyday life. Um, I don't come with the Christian jargon or Christian language. Um, as many of the older Christian programs, uh, I try to talk about um, some kind of need or issue, even sometimes a political issue, and then I quote something of the Bible at the end, that the Bible says that, or that Jesus Christ, about this issue, sat there. And this wisdom. is every day, every Monday day. to Friday, next to the news, so yes. people who sit down to watch that or in petrol yes. stations around, yes, you are yes. going up, so parallel to the church. Yes. How yes, fantastic. Yes. And then the other ministry I want is, this, is the Bible School. Can you tell yes. us a bit about that? Claire? Yes. Well, Marcus set up the Bible School um, probably about 25 years ago before he actually came to England. Um, but so you had to learn some 20. theology. You thought you'd better learn some theology to teach yeah. in it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, he first did his degree in, in Buenos Aires and then he did his second, his master's in London. Yeah. So it was in between those yeah. two, actually. So anyway, um, the Bible Seminary is an amazing project. Uh, I've just been so excited to be part of that. The Bible Seminary is not just for our church. It's for all the churches in the region. We have people who travel um, two hours by bus to come to the the Bible Seminary. We give all our classes on a Friday night from 5 until 11 so people can continue working. Do they um, do They do six hours or they do three hours? And They do yeah. two modules, three hours and three hours. So some people do the whole thing. So some people do the whole thing, some will do just a three-hour module, which is actually two classes, then okay. two classes of an hour and a half. Um, the Bible Seminary is just so important. Um, we're quite concerned about the church in Argentina um, and the churches in our city, um, there's a lack of theological preparation, a lack of biblical knowledge. Um, so many of the people coming from other churches are in fact already pastors, they're already in ministry, but they haven't had any th formal theological preparation. So the Bible seminary is so important to them. It's also important to our Christian people who have become, come to faith. Um, so again, as I said, they understand being a Christian is about sharing your faith, but being a Christian is also about knowing the Bible deeply. So lots of our new converts are also in the Bible seminary. But it's really important because I, you know, we have a group, um, each, each semester is different. We've got some continuing students who've been there for years now. Um, but every time I'm there, I realize I'm before leaders. So you see a group of, of 20, um, but behind each one, you see churches, you see communities, you see some are leaders, some will be leaders. And it just inspires me, the Bible seminary, because the, the influence that it can have and it is happening and uh, is having in the life of so many people and so many churches. And what's it's the great. overlap with your church? So I know you've got these young adults who've become Christians. How many of them get to engage with the, the depth of stuff you're doing in the Bible school? All of them. All of them. Brilliant. So, <laughs> so they go home and they see Marcus on the telly and they come on Friday night and it, it ties in, yes. hopefully. I mean, it sounds very nice, but it's hard. <laughs> hard work. Um, it's hard work. People cannot, I mean, it's hard for people to get on with their own lives because they've got complicated backgrounds, mm. ungodly backgrounds. Um, young people who suffered a lot 
and um, the main problem is family, deep, mm. bad family issues. Mm. So we became their family, mm. and the church became their family. And um, many of them, they say, I, I feel more comfortable amongst uh, other Christians in the church than in my own home. So if they, well, if they yeah. come to church, and sometimes they ask me for the key, they stay overnight, <laughs> they sleep, they, they cook there, <laughs> and um, they just don't want to go. Well, we love being part of your very extended family at a long distance. Yeah. Um, want to encourage folks who haven't had a chance to engage Mark Sinclair, you'll, some of you will get them over coffee, they'll be here at the next service and this evening as well. Uh, next year, we're really looking to be in partnership with you more for a particular project in developing your church. Mm. More about that next year. Can we just pray for Marcus and Claire now and the church that will be meeting in a few hours there in Concordia? Lord God, our Father, how we praise you for drawing Marcus and Claire together, for taking them to Concordia, for putting on their heart what was on your heart, to see a church planted in the middle of that city, that secularized city. We praise you for the miracle that there is a church there. And we pray your blessing on this church, as it's neither the nominalism of many of the Catholics or the prosperity gospel of a lot of the Pentecostals, but it's trying to be faithful to your word, to go deep with a long-term view. We pray your blessing on Marcus's television ministry. We pray your blessing on this theological seminary and the impact on multiple churches in the area. We pray your blessing on the church in Concordia as they meet later today. Bless them and meet with them. We pray for Marcus and Claire's own family, for Marisol and Lucas and Oliver, we pray for their church family as they mesh together. Will you bless them? And as they head on from here to go and spend time with friends in London before they go home, refresh them, teach them, equip them. And we pray your blessing on them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Can we give them a big round of applause. So now I am going to preach a bit shorter, but you might want to stand up and have a stretch and a twirl. It's not a loo break unless you need that, but just a 30-second break uh, if you need to stretch. It's hot and muggy. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, just to sort of settle back into Ephesians, if you're a visitor among us this morning, we're going through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul would have loved to hear that story from Marcus and Claire. It's what Paul did. He went to new cities, he planted churches, they were full of chaos and young life, he needed to teach them all sorts of things. Uh, he spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere else, three years, teaching every day. Uh, if there was a television ministry, he would have had one. That wasn't there 2,000 years ago. But he had the next best equivalent thing, the Hall of Tyrannus, which he took over at lunchtime uh, when nobody else wanted to use it, when it was really hot. And every day for three years he preached. So one of the things you'd do if you visited Ephesus was, where should we go at lunchtime? Let's go and hear this, this, this preacher. That was the television of the day. And a church was built. And Paul is writing from prison in Rome. Uh, He's a prisoner of Nero, but in this letter, if, if we go back to verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's because of his faith in Jesus. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, if we go, John. Actually, I haven't even started my notes yet. So. 
uh, is a prisoner of Jesus Christ because of sharing the gospel uh, with the Jew and the Gentiles alike. And he's writing from prison to the church in Ephesus. And now, uh, this bit we're looking at today is, I think, the hardest bit to understand of the book of Ephesians. And normally when I'm preaching through Ephesians, this is the bit I try and give to a visiting preacher because I struggled to get my head around this. Uh, but I've had it this time, and I think I'm getting somewhere with it. The rest of Ephesians is much easier to understand. I think I've now got this. And without what we've had before and without what comes next, it's harder to get this. So I'll explain this passage in the light of what happened before and what happened next. I'm reminded as I do that of Mark Twain, who said, it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that create a problem for me, it's the bits of the Bible I do understand. <laughs> Normally it's all too obvious, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, give generously and sacrificially. Very easy to understand, really costly to do. Uh, the bits we don't understand, don't worry about too much, the Lord will shed fresh light. But let's pray now that the Lord would come by his spirit and help us understand this bit of Ephesians and see the relevance it has for us today. Lord God, you spoke through St. Paul. Your spirit inspired him to write this letter all those years ago. Would your same spirit come now and help me as I teach from this? Would your same spirit help each one of us to hear your word to us? Breathe your spirit, shine your light on your word that it would live for us today. And for each one of us, wherever we are in our walk with you, whether we've been Christians for many years, whether we're not quite there yet, will you show us the next step for us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me recap uh, Ephesians. Now, John, I'm now starting my notes. The poor projectionists, I write my notes, and this is where you think it's going to go, and then it goes differently. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, right at the beginning of the letter, Paul starts with, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We thought about how we live in a natural world, but also there's a supernatural world running right through it. As surely as our phone signals and TV signals go through this place, so the spiritual reality that we can't see with our eyes floods this place. And God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And a few weeks ago, we looked at some of them. He's chosen us. He's forgiven us. He's adopted us. He's revealed his plan to us. He's given us his spirit. Uh, then we looked at the second half of Ephesians 1 uh, from verse 17 into 19, where Paul is praying that God would show them more. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better or so you know him more. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may the hope to which he's called you, to know that more, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power, that power that works in us the same as the mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul's telling them they've been blessed, but there's more, there's more to come. In Ephesians 2, the first half, he talks about this all being by grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not, you don't deserve it, it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, none of us can boast. And then he goes on to say, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us to do. These good works don't earn God's favor, they are a result of knowing we've been saved by grace, we've been forgiven, we've been chosen, we've been adopted, we're included in God's family. Like those young adults we heard about in Concordia who now know they're adopted in God's family. 
And that's their, their prime bit of belonging. Now God has works for us to do. He's prepared for us. We're to live by grace as well as being saved by grace. And then last week, we thought about at the end of chapter 2, how God has not only made peace between us and God, but he's brought us together. He broke down the walls between Jew and Gentile. Every barrier is broken down. So God's new society is composed of old and young, male and female, rich and poor, black and white, educated and uneducated, Argentinian and British and everything else. We're all part of his great new society. Uh, And at the end of chapter 2, where we were last week, Paul says, so you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So, 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to get close to God, you'd go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where he made his presence dwell. Now, you can come to a gathering of his people. He makes himself known. So our desire, our prayer, our invitation is to people to come and see and pray that they will encounter something of God among us as we are being built into a spiritual temple. Uh, That is where we've got to so far, and Paul's about to go on to pray for them. Uh, In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, for this reason, I," and then he doesn't get as far as praying, verse 14, he says, for this reason, and he does get to praying for them uh, next week. But we have a little digression here that is about Paul's ministry. And without understanding the flow of the letter, it's why I've done a recap for you, it's hard to see what he's on about. And I've got it down to two headings, which I think... Uh, help me to get it. Uh, Both of them are by grace. In verse 2, Paul says that God has revealed the mystery of the gospel to him by grace. And in verse 7 of Ephesians 3, he says that God has given him a ministry by grace. So those of you that like headings that are similar, we've got the mystery and the ministry, both revealed by grace. Uh, So first of all, by grace, God revealed the mystery of the gospel to Paul. Verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 3. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now, when we read the word mystery, it's slightly different to what the Greek word means. We think of something that is mysterious, that's hard to understand, that we can't really get our heads around. The word that that is translated mystery is something that no one could have known that has now been revealed. So it's it's a revelation. Uh, So in the typical mystery religions around the day of of, uh, Paul, once you were a part of this religion or cult, the mysteries would be revealed to you and you'd be sworn to secrecy. The mystery of the gospel is an open secret. There's nothing that's mysterious anymore God revealed to St. Paul on the Damascus Road in the days that followed and the years that followed that Jesus was his son who died for our sins to break down the barrier between us and God. And in chapter 2, not only to break down that barrier, but to break down the barrier between us and each other. Uh, That is now, it's a revealed mystery. So it's not that it's mysterious anymore, it's that we couldn't have known it unless it had been revealed. So verse 3, the mystery that's made known to me by revelation. 
Uh, and this is that the Jews and Gentiles are heirs together of all the promises of Christ, of, of God, through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, it was clear that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. Abraham's children, the people of Israel, were God would bless Abraham and his people for the whole world. But Israel in Jesus' day had forgotten that. In Isaiah, the suffering servant, uh, the suffering servant is to be a light to the Gentiles. But when Jesus started talking about blessing the Gentiles, they tried to stone him in Nazareth. When Paul talked about blessing the Gentiles, they tried to stone him and locked him up and put him in prison. This wasn't popular. But this was the mystery that was revealed to him that we now take for granted that we who are 99% Gentile probably in this place are included in all God's promises to the Jews because of what Jesus did. And uh, that barrier is broken down as is the barrier between us and God. So verse 6 of our passage, Paul puts it like this. This mystery, what's now been revealed, is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Uh, God is building a whole new humanity, as the verses we looked at earlier. He's building us into a spiritual temple, a spiritual building in which he lives by his spirit. This has Jew and Gentile, it has old and young, rich and poor, male and female, black and white, educated and uneducated. We're all equal before him equally heirs to the promise, all included in his new family through Jesus. Uh, let me just do a cross-reference in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 and 24, a classic expression of the gospel, where Paul says this. He's talking about how the fact we can't be righteous by our own deeds before God. He says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, all are justified freely by his grace. doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile. None of us are perfect. All of us need to be forgiven. Jesus died for all of us uh, to be justified. As I was taught in the Sunday school, is it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm forgiven. I'm declared right. The slate is washed clean. Uh, this wonderful freedom that comes from knowing sins are forgiven. Guilt is gone. Shame can be dealt with. It is tremendously good news. And we are included in this mystery that's been revealed. Not a mysterious thing like the English say, but in the sense of something that we'd never have known unless it was revealed. And Paul's talked about this a couple of times already. So back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he said, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God is working together to a great day of bringing all his people together, to bring a new unity even between heaven and earth. So the heavens and the earth will be made new and all his people will dwell in eternity with him. We can't quite imagine what it will be like. I'm sure the weather will be glorious in heaven. I'm equally sure the grass will be green. I don't know how God will work that. Uh, in our country, we tend to have one or the other at the moment. It will be lovely. It will be fabulous. Everything will work together. In chapter, two, sorry, in chapter 1 and verses 19 to 21, he talked about God's incomparably great power 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So Paul is looking forward always to when Jesus comes back. And if we lose sight of that, we lose perspective. And you and I are included in this. We are heirs together with St. Paul, with the Jews and the Gentiles, with the people of Ephesus, with the people of Concordia in Argentina. We are forgiven, chosen, adopted, including in God's great family. Now, if you don't yet see that as good news, you haven't yet understood the gospel. Uh, can I suggest you pray, God, will you open my eyes to see the truth of this? Will you help me to get it? For St. Paul, it happened with a blinding flash of light and then having to rethink everything. For many of you, it happened on an alpha course or, or in childhood. Or for some of you, it's in the process of happening. But until we see that as good news, that we're adopted by God, our sins are forgiven, we're part of his new community and we'll be that for all eternity, uh, you don't need to worry about the rest. It's once you've got it as good news that the rest follows. So there's an application for some. Uh, second bit of this, by grace, the mystery was revealed to Paul. Then he goes on in the second half of today's passage to say that by grace, God has given him the ministry of making this good news known. So chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, I became a servant to this gospel by the gift of God's grace again. It's all by grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. I became a servant to the gospel by the grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. He always says he's less than the least, and he believes it truly because he persecuted the church. He was utterly opposed to what God was building, and yet God included him. Whatever you've done, God will forgive you. His grace is enough for whatever we've done. And I love this phrase in verse 8, the boundless riches of Christ. There is more for us to discover. All those ones we've thought about already, that we're chosen, forgiven, adopted. We understand God's plan for the world. He's given us his Holy Spirit. There's so much more. Uh, all those gifts about being included in the spiritual temple that we've looked at. But Paul sees a bigger picture still. And for many of us, this is a bigger picture. Salvation is never just an individual thing. We are saved to be part of his new community. But Paul puts it on a cosmic scale in verse 10. There's a much bigger picture. So Ephesians 3 and verse 10. We can go on to that. Um, can we have Ephesians 3 and verse 10, John, rather than Ephesians 2 and verse 10, if that's possible? We'll get there in a minute. Ephesians 3 and verse 10. I'll read it to you, and John will get there in a bit. His intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Thank you, John. This is a cosmic scale. We've thought about how the heavenly realms run through everything we see. Uh, back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, we were blessed in the heavenly realms. Back in chapter 2 and verse 6, we're seated in the heavenly realms. Now in chapter 3 and verse 10... The church is declaring to the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities. These are The rulers and authorities are usually the forces of evil, Paul refers to, the fallen angels, part of the devil's kingdom. They are determined to destroy the church. 
They don't fully understand it. But God is revealing to them his plan by including everybody in his new kingdom. It's hard for us to get our head around, but Paul sees this on a cosmic scale. Uh, when we get to chapter 6, he will make it clearer. So let's just flip ahead to chapter 6, because we're not going to get there till the autumn, uh, as we have a break for the summer. So chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. I wish we could put that in English with a U in the armor. But anyway, apologies. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a cosmic struggle. You've discovered that. When you become a Christian and you bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, you make the best friend possible, the Lord of lords and King of kings. You get a new enemy. The devil is opposed to you. He tries to wreck your life he tries to tempt you to give up on God he tries to seduce you with material stuff or uh, pleasure and chasing after things that will never satisfy there is a spiritual battle and the devil is determined to try his best to destroy the church he doesn't understand it it seems God has given made the church as the church comes into being it is a declaration to all the forces of evil that God is planning something wonderful for all eternity that they're not part of. It's an, there is a battle we're part of. God rejoices over the miracle of the new church in Concordia in Argentina. He rejoiced over the miracle of the new church here back in 1873 and what it's become now in 2018. The devil will oppose us. But we don't need to worry because Jesus has promised that he will build his church. Matthew 16 verse 18 Jesus promises, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, you could translate that, the powers of hell, will not overcome it. We don't need to be worried, but we do need to make sure we love the church. The church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, uh, we'll come to this in the autumn, Paul talks about the church as the body of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Uh, the body of whom Christ is the head. From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. We are his body. You can't say to Jesus, I love you, but I hate your body. It doesn't work well. Jesus loves his body. More than that, we're his bride. Uh, yesterday, I was preaching from Ephesians 5 at the wedding of Seamus and Catrin. Let's just put up Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. We are the bride of Christ. Paul, you think Paul's talking about marriage in Ephesians 5. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. Marriage between a man and a woman is just for this life. not In eternity we have the real thing that marriage points to. We are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. How can we say to Jesus, I love you, but I hate your body, or I don't think much of your bride? That doesn't work well. In Ephesians, Paul makes it clear the church is central to the purposes of God. We're included in him. We're to love him. Now the church is imperfect. It's messy. We're a building site. Uh, we're a bride that's not remotely ready for the wedding day yet. We're, we're getting ready. There's a lot of preparation to come. But we are to love the church and do our whole utmost to build it up. I'll finish with one more reference. Ephesians 4 and verse 3 says, Make 
every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, as far as it's up to us. Tragically, there have always been splits in the body of Christ. The evil one is determined whenever he sees an opportunity to force split and division. We are to do all we can for forgiveness and reconciliation and working at unity as far as it depends on us. Within our small groups, within our church family, with other churches in the area, because the church is part of God's cosmic plan, we're the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, much more to say about that, but it's time we moved on. So let's stand and we'll pray together. I will let the band come back. We'll just have a moment of quiet. And I'll ask God to come and speak to us individually afresh. We've all heard from his word together. Lord, we praise you that we are being built into a spiritual temple. These horizons are bigger than most of us think about most of the time. Will you expand our horizons to see the place that you've got for us within your body, the church, within your kingdom for all eternity? For any among us who don't see this as good news yet, by your spirit, reveal to them as they can see what glorious good news this is. For any who don't see how your church is part of your plan, give to them a love for your church, your body, your bride. And for all of us, just as you called St. Paul by grace to a particular role, thank you that you have particular roles and ministry for each one of us here. Would you show us the part you want us to play in this great cosmic plan of the building of your kingdom at home, at work, within your church, among friends, in this society? So come Holy Spirit and write these truths on our hearts. Let's just be still for a minute. Some of you thinking, I'm not sure there is a part for me on this, in this. There truly is a part for everyone. As we were praying before the service, someone had a picture of a, an American football team. Not quite sure what it was that, but someone on the outside feeling that they hadn't been picked and were left out. And God is saying he has chosen you. You are part of his plan. And he wants you to be part of that. Others of you are trying to become what God is making you to be. We had a picture of a butterfly trying to emerge from a chrysalis. It's really hard work. Go with it. The beautiful butterfly will emerge. Lord, we pray that for all of us, you'd show us what part we play and you'd help us to become the people you've truly made us to be individually and, as, and together. And as we sing about your grace and as we come to your table, continue to minister to us by your spirit. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.